wonder if you know these sayings. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Well, there's a fly in the ointment. A little bird told me. All those sayings, and they are fairly well known in our language, come from the passage which we're going to study this evening. Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Now, if you have a Bible, I think it would be very useful for you to have it open because I'm going to have to go fast. David has that knack of going fast, especially through Mark, but uh, two chapters of Ecclesiastes is a bit of a... I'm nearly going to say a chore. I better say a challenge. Page 674 in the Pew Bibles if you're using one of those. Now, I'll be using various translations and references this evening, but uh, they'll be up on the screen. So, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. And here we find Solomon, the searcher. And we've called him the searcher because he's inquiring in all sorts of ways, both by actually carrying out experiments and by his thinking. Here, at the beginning of chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon the searcher is in reflective mood. He says, so I reflected on all this. Let's retrace our step for a moment and see what he'd been thinking about. Back to chapter 8 and verse 14. He says, there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. In other words, it's a topsy-turvy world. And things don't always work out fairly. And so, look at verse 15. He commands the enjoyment of life. Because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. By the way, this is the fourth time that he's used this form of language in the book. And it isn't just vain repetition. He's repeating it for emphasis. This is one of the key thoughts in the book. There's nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Under the sun... Remember what that means. Viewing life from a completely human point of view, not necessarily bringing God into the equation. Then, he says, joy will accompany him in his work all the days of life God has given him under the sun. Let's revel in that joy. Because if you you glance down through verses 16 and 17, You see that no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all his efforts to search it out, man cannot discover its meaning. Even a wise man claims, if a wise man claims he knows, he cannot really comprehend it. Did you notice that twice he uses the word comprehend? Let's be content, he says, because we are not going to comprehend everything that happens. And many years before, Moses had told the children of Israel 
The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us. Got the difference? The secret things. God hasn't revealed everything. God will not reveal everything. But the things revealed belong to us. And God has revealed himself in creation. And God has revealed himself primarily through his word. But there are certain things he hasn't revealed. And certain things we will never comprehend. We should be content with that. Now, back to chapter 9 and verse 1. So, I reflected on all this and concluded. Searcher likes to reflect and then he comes to conclusions every time. I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. Reflect on that. And... When you hear the many words I will utter in the next 25 minutes, keep that in your mind and take that away with you. We are in God's hands. That, to me, is the the key thought in this whole passage. Jesus said to his disciples, you remember, in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. A kind of double security. We are in God's hand. We may not be able to comprehend everything, but we can be sure of that fact. But. But. Searcher never shrinks from the realities of life under the sun. But. No man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny. Verse 2. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who suffer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes them all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterwards they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Let me comment on that last sentence. Because remember, in uh, Solomon's time, dogs were the lowest form of animal life. They weren't the pets and pooches we have today. They weren't the white little one that keeps jumping up in the Caesar dog food ads you have seen. They were just the lowest form of life. And lions. Lions were admired for their majesty, their manes, their appearance, their strength. But, says the searcher, even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. 
They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Destiny for all of us is the same without exception. Death. Somewhat sensitive in the presence of someone who's just lost a loved one. But I hope this will be helpful. So, the searcher is saying to us, face death. We have all got to. Remember how David preaching last week in chapter 8 put it? One out of one people die. 90,000 people die every day. That's over 60 every minute. Someone has died. Sobering thought, isn't it? Death is a certainty. Now, our culture has tended to shy away from that reality. Though, recently, I'd have to say, the interest in assisted suicide has brought death more into the news, especially in tabloid newspapers. But we, as Christians, should be able to face death in a unique way because of our Christian hope. I like to say Christian assurance. Absolute certainty. You see, my concept of death is not so much the common idea of the grim reaper, but the assurance of the welcoming Jesus. Let me read to you one of my favorite passages about death. It's from the New Living Translation, and I was really challenged by it and helped by it when I read it for the first time years ago. Oops, sorry. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. Now let me stop and comment there very briefly. For years and years, since my youth, I've heard people occasionally pray about folk who have reached the end of life, who are on their deathbed. Lord, take the tent down gently. I always thought it was a a quaint sort of way of putting it. And then I read it in the New Living Translation. It's very biblical. Lord, take the tent down gently. When this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in this present body, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies, so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself prepared this for us. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. That sums up my belief about death. How about you? But let's go on. 
The certainty of death must not overshadow the gladness of living. Verse 7. I looked around different translations to see which one would bring it more into the 21st century. And, rather surprising as far as I was concerned, it was the message. Eugene Peterson, I know it was, it was uh, written, I think, first of all in 1993, but it'll do for the 21st century. And here's what he says. You follow it in uh, the New International, and I'll call out the verse numbers. Verse 7. Seize life. That's the very next thing he says after talking about the dead. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Verse 8. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Now, I quite couldn't get that where Peterson got colors and scarves out of the... Uh, well, what I take as being a good translation, which is the NIV. Uh, always anoint your head with oil. So I looked up other, other translations, and here's the contemporary English. Dress up, comb your hair, and look your best. Or the new living, I think even better. Wear fine clothes with a dash of cologne. <laughs> well, cologne because it probably, it probably uh, has both... Sex is in mind. I would have said, wear fine clothes and a dab of white linen. Because I know that's what my wife's wearing today, you see. Verse 9. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. So romance needn't ever die. I better explain to people listening to this by recording. That's my comment, not what was in Peterson. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. And verse 10. Whatever turns up, grab it. And do it. And heartily. So he's saying, eat, drink, celebrate, enjoy, enthuse. And there's the first of our well-known sayings. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Face death. Seize life. Now on to the next consideration. And I think in verses 11 and 12, the search is back to his notion of a a topsy-turvy world. We just don't know what will happen next. And what he's saying is, Expect the unexpected. Let me read verses 11 and 12. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. There's our second well-known saying. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. No one can predict misfortunes. And he uses illustrations. Fish trapped. Birds trapped. People trapped. 
You remember the Apostle James' warning about self-confidence. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you should say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Let me give you two examples. One good, one bad, or one bad and one good from this past week. And you know the first one immediately. Air France Flight 447 left Rio for Paris last Monday in an ultra-modern jet, Airbus 330, with 228 passengers aboard, three of them newly qualified doctors from Ireland, and simply disappeared. I believe today they've found two bodies and perhaps part of a wing, but that's all. Complete, utter, unexpected tragedy. And I heard someone say yesterday on the radio, it found page 14 on the Daily Telegraph with all the news about MPs. The searcher would say, that's life. Bad. What if I'm good? The AIM prayer guide for June began last Monday by suggesting that we should pray for all of Africa. And this is what it said. Matthew Paris, the confirmed atheist, wrote in the Times last December, In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. So, pray that this remarkable example of God using an unwilling prophet will have a good and wide influence. I remember reading that article, and some of you uh, have read it too, I know. And I was completely surprised. Talk about expecting the unexpected. No, I wasn't expecting that from a man like Matthew Paris. And his headline for his own article was that. As an atheist, I truly believe God needs, uh, Africa needs God. And this is his conclusion to the article. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of the malign fusion of Nike, the witch doctor, the mobile phone, and the machete. God surprises us sometimes, doesn't he? And I just wondered why uh, AAM took so long in, in publicizing that, but that doesn't matter. God surprises us sometimes by, by the instruments he uses and the way he does things. We could even say that about the site next door. But what we do, what we must do is to expect the unexpected, both good and bad. But let's move on. Next he says, value wisdom. Look at verses 13 to the end of the chapter. 
I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now, there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. He's saying, value wisdom. Can you picture the scene when the poor man's efforts were successful? Those huge siege works. Gone. And even though the poor man was soon forgotten and despised, he says in verse 18, wisdom is better than strength. And in, that's verse 16, verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And in verse 17, he talks about quiet diplomacy. Now, my thoughts, because I'm preparing during the week and President Obama was uh, giving his speeches. He's unlikely to be forgotten like the poor man. He could be despised in a few years' time. That's politics. But let's pray. We should be praying that his quiet diplomacy in the Middle East will bring agreement and final peace to that stricken area. And perhaps a new positive relationship with the, the Muslim world. And so we come to chapter 10. If you're using NIV, glance down through it. There is not one heading in this chapter at all. No divisions that the NIV editors saw could be put in. In fact, the only heading goes back before verse 13 of chapter 9. Wisdom better than folly. And that may sum it all up. The words folly and fool occur seven times in chapter 10. I've counted them. And yet I wonder, there's a lot more in chapter 10 than fools and folly. I have titled it simply, Live Sensibly. And I want to deal very quickly with some of the topics covered. Right enough, the chapter starts with a reference to folly. Glance down through verses 1 to 4, I won't have time to read them, and then over to verse 15. Here is wisdom versus folly and stupidity. And here's where the third of our well-known sayings comes, a fly in the ointment. Now, I know NIV says perfume, but that saying came into our language long before the NIV was published. And earlier translations talked about flies in the ointment of the apothecary a fly in the ointment a small defect that spoils something valuable or is is simply a source of annoyance a fly in the ointment I also like the reference to inclining to the right and to the left I find that interesting because even as far back as uh, Solomon's day people thought of right and left, right and wrong Wisdom and folly, good and evil. 
And of course, the Romans brought it into Dexter and Sinister. And our English language, dexterous and still sinister. Right and wrong. The heart of the wise inclines to the right. The heart of the fool to the left. Interesting. Anyway, look at verses 5 to 7. Here he's giving examples from his personal experience. He says, there's an evil I have seen under the sun. The sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions. Maybe I shouldn't go into that, as David would say. It's uh, politics he's talking about. Fools occupying high positions and the rich. And since people thought of the rich as being in God's favor, they were, they were also equated with the wise. The wise were put in the humble ones. It's politics of a topsy-turvy world is what he's saying. And then in verses 8 to 11, and add to that if you glance down to uh, 14, the second half of 14, surprises. A bit like expect the unexpected. And he, he illustrates this with four examples. Now some people have seen sinister things in this, but I don't really. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Isn't that true? You trip over the spade and away you go. In those days, deep pits were dug for animals, particularly lions, if they wanted to trap them. There's always the, the possibility of falling in. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Stone walls with clay in between, very easy. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them, of course. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them, of course. Accidents will happen. And then he adds... If the axe is dull on its edge, you unsharpened well, you need a lot of strength. But developing skill will help. And the snake charmer, well he should have charmed his snake before he began trying to illustrate what he could do. And he might lose more than his fee, mightn't he? Speech and talk. This deals with the, the danger of Foolish talk and multiplying words. Look at verses 12 to 15. All I want to say is, remember what the Apostle James said about the use of the tongue. And then, moving on to 16 and 17. The word governance wouldn't have been in my active vocabulary until a few years ago. I suppose when the Good Friday Agreement came about and the the way in which Northern Ireland was governed was changed and they've talked about this word governance ever since. Here is, well, I could maybe say either good government or bad government. Bad government, first of all, woe to you, O land. Princes shouldn't be feasting in the morning. You wait with your feasting until the day's work is done and then you feast. But blessed are you, land whose princes eat at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Woo! Blessed. Irresponsible government. Responsible government. And the chapter ends with three proverbs. By the way, did you notice that the whole of the chapter, if you're following it in the NIV, is in kind of poetry 
form. They're proverbs. And here are three final proverbs on indolence, lifestyle, tittle-tattle. Well, man's lazy, the rafters sag, his hands are idle, the house leaks. <laughs> I like verse 19. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Now, there's a point of view that doesn't take God into consideration. This is life under the sun, remember, he's talking about. And then in uh, verse 20, we have the fourth of our well-known sayings, A little bird told me. C.H. Spurgeon, in a lecture one day to a student, said, Most persons who have secrets told them, are like the lady of whom it is said that she never told her secrets except to two sorts of people. Those who asked her and those who didn't. Tittle-tattle and the dangers of it. So, live sensibly. I think the Apostle James sums that section up so well. I wonder, was he thinking of Ecclesiastes when he wrote it? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, living sensibly. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let me summarize what I've said. Chapter 9, number 1, face death. View it from a, a real, true Christian perspective and then that changes everything seize life enjoy God's gifts but expect the unexpected because none of us knows what tomorrow will hold and the last two don't really need any commentary value wisdom and live sensibly and the kernel of the whole passage I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hand.